This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 22, 2009. I'm Caleb Brown. American foreign policy was constrained for much of the last 60 years by that other great power, the Soviet Union. But now, what constrains the American urge to maintain primacy? Justin Logan, Associate Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, explains. It took Dwight Eisenhower to tell us, you know, you better look out about this uh, creeping uh, military-industrial complex. It takes, apparently, the Defense Secretary, President Obama, uh, a whole host of experts to say, yeah, maybe this F-22 funding, generally a pretty small part of the defense budget, isn't necessary. And if it takes that kind of inertia to uh, stop something pretty small, uh, you know, what hope is there that uh, we could actually turn the tide on a USA that wants to have its uh, thumb at every pie uh, internationally? Well, I think the F-22 is one small case uh, for the general argument that I'm attempting to make uh, in this paper, and that's that it's not just the sort of military-industrial-congressional complex that obviously has an interest in an expansive American grand strategy, uh, but more broadly, um, there are really no interests inside Washington, D.C. that are pressing for a less interventionist strategy. From a sort of domestic politics standpoint, a lot of the debates that we see, uh, and I'm indebted to our colleague Ben Friedman for this insight, are sort of kept from either extreme by warring factions. So if you take, for example, the debate over abortion, the debate over gun control, the debate over uh, environmental uh, policy. There are uh, two sides to each of those debates, which tend to, by virtue of their clashing over time, uh, you get movement if you have sort of a, a football field analogy. We may be on one 45-yard line or on another 45-yard line, but we generally don't tend to get into either, uh, either side's end zone. And in the sort of debate over U.S. grand strategy, uh, there really aren't a great deal of countervailing forces on the domestic political level, at least today, uh, that would mitigate toward uh, a grand strategy of what others and I have termed restraint. Uh, so I think that's just sort of a recognition of, uh, unfortunately, the uphill uh, battle that we're fighting here in D.C. What did the U.S. have in terms of its own constraints? Obviously, the evil empire, the Soviet Union was the the big constraint on the USA. What, how did that discipline the United States uh, attempts to uh, be more powerful? In many instances, it led to the realization that there were some things that we couldn't and shouldn't do. The obvious rejoinder to that point, of course, is the, the, the wreckage that we left behind in Vietnam, 58,000 Americans killed and a great deal of uh, uh, money squandered there. But if you look at what happened after Vietnam, there was a concerted effort by, in particular, the military to say, we're not going to do this again. This, turns out, was a big mess, uh, and we'd like to ensure that, uh, that we won't do this. And so you had things like the Weinberger-Powell doctrine that functionally, through doctrinal innovations, made sure that we couldn't do another Vietnam because of the requirements for intervention were set so high that meeting the requirements for another Vietnam were functionally out of reach. 
in the current unipolar environment, the United States is the only real great power in the world. It's interesting what you're seeing after Iraq is not an analogous uh, response by the military or by the D.C. policy establishment more generally. There's not a great deal of institutional innovation to try to prevent future Iraqs or anything like that. To the contrary, what you've seen is doctrinal changes within the Pentagon toward counterinsurgency, toward sort of better gearing the military establishment in this country toward succeeding or having a better chance of success at future Iraqs. And I think that's telling that there is no sort of disciplining force uh, at what international relations academics call the structural level, which is the sort of uh, the, the international system more broadly. So if we want to look at restraining American foreign policy, my argument is that we need to think much more carefully about the domestic politics of national security. In short form, what can discipline that uh, internal fight? Well, my paper suffers from the, the problem that, uh, that many papers do, which is that the policy prescriptions part of the paper can be both difficult to write and disheartening to read. Uh, one of the things, again, I'm indebted to, to our colleague Ben Friedman, that could be done is looking at ways to foster inter-service competition at the Pentagon. Uh, Harvey Sapolsky, who is a professor at MIT, has been on about this uh, for quite a long time, uh, as has our own Chairman Emeritus Bill Niskanen in, in some other forms. And that is to say that what we have today is a, a planning establishment inside of the Pentagon where the share of the total overall defense budget that's taken by each service tends to be flat, tends functionally to be a sort of a flat line. What we should be doing is having competing budgetary, uh, or, or at least foster the ability for budgetary competition, where the Navy would try to increase its share of the budget by saying what we need to do is develop much greater naval capabilities in the, day, in the event that China at some point in the future uh, grows to a point that it could challenge us on the open seas. You would have the Army uh, taking any number of different positions, but one of which would seems obvious be we need to get ready for counterinsurgencies. The political establishment in Washington has sent us into these missions uh, several times now. It's clear that we're not well geared to this. But instead, what you have is sort of a log-rolled political coalition inside of the Pentagon and inside the national security establishment more broadly, uh, where there isn't that sort of effort to try to eat the other guy's lunch, but rather as the overall pie gets bigger, everyone's share gets bigger. So fostering some sort of competition, at least within the military services, for example, uh, would help at least to sort of break apart that log roll political coalition. But uh, certainly we're a long way from, uh, from getting there today. What about forcing interests within the national security establishment in the United States to compete with domestic uh, other policy uh, values that we have, such as environment, clean water or uh, any number of other areas? One of the other sort of rejoinders to, to the thinking in this is that in the long run, uh, the structural fiscal imbalances that are built into the American economy as a result of promises that have been made on the basis of health care and Social Security uh, will serve ultimately as a restraint on American grand strategy. The, the amount of promises that have been made by the federal government 
to pay people for their health care and to sustain Social Security with changing demographics are huge. That's certainly not a, uh, a controversial point in this building. So I guess to put it, uh, to try to put a positive light on it, the, the small silver lining of the otherwise very dark cloud of these looming fiscal imbalances may be that you get uh, some competition among the various uh, factions within the federal government who are trying to get tax dollars, trying to get their budgets bigger, and competition whereby everyone has to work a little bit harder to justify their own budgets. So there may be uh, some pressure, particularly from healthcare in the long term. My own preference would be a uh, sort of small r Republican outcry uh, for decentralization of the United States, for uh, getting political power dispersed back to the states, to local communities, and by shutting down or at least uh, severely constraining the sort of uh, concentration of power uh, that's, that's grown over the past 60 years in particular inside Washington, D.C. Uh, of course, politics being what it is in the modern age and seeing Washington's sort of balance of forces today, there isn't terribly much evidence that there is a uh, robust Republican appetite among the American people to break apart uh, the political power that exists in Washington. But uh, certainly, you know, one of our jobs here is to try to uh, press the case for that, and we continue to do so. Justin Logan is Associate Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and author of a forthcoming paper on the structure of domestic politics. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.